Ten days ago, there was a shocking announcement made. After nearly 37 years and almost 9,000 episodes, the Australian soap opera Neighbours has been cancelled. I'm sure you're all very devastated. The show's social media revealed the sad news and went on to say this. To our amazing loyal fans, we know that this is a huge disappointment, as it is to all of us on the team. Now, it is possible that some of you are really disappointed by this. If you were a fan, I'm not going to judge. I'm going to try not to judge you anyway. But I would suggest that the cancellation of neighbours is not really the biggest disappointment you've faced over the last couple of years. For many of us, these past couple of years have been filled with lots and lots of disappointments and sadness that comes from uh, unfulfilled expectations. Holidays have had to be cancelled. Birthdays had to be celebrated alone or online. Weddings and funerals were, were much smaller than we wanted. We were kept at a distance from family and friends. And as a church too, we we also faced many disappointments. Services were cancelled. We had to go to church in our pyjamas, which some people enjoyed, I know. Not mentioning any names, Joan. Uh, (laughs) Other events had to be cancelled. Kids clubs, camps, weekends away. Loads of things were cancelled. People who used to be part of this church fellowship, they walked away during that time and they haven't come back yet. And we miss them. And there were people who we prayed for, desperately prayed for, who weren't healed. And we miss them too. Now, of course, these past two years, in terms of disappointment, hasn't been a new experience. Because disappointment is a constant experience, a constant challenge in our lives. None of us get everything that we want. Our dreams are often unrealized. Our hopes are often left unfulfilled. We don't often see the answers that we want to our prayers. And that can lead to a whole host of negative responses. Like anger or resentment or fear. Or even just kind of apathy and just kind of feeling that we just want to give up. So how can we cope with that? How can we face the giant of disappointment without getting discouraged or disheartened or defeated? Well, we're looking at the the life of David and we're going to continue that this morning. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Caroline's going to come up and she's going to read to us uh, verse 1 down to verse 17 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a place of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. 
wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be the ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Thank you very much, Caroline, for reading our passage this morning. David had a really good plan. After so many years of danger and conflict and being on the run, the king was settled in his palace. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He was safe, he was comfortable, he was established, but he wasn't about to take it easy. He wasn't looking for some time off. Instead, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. David felt that it was wrong for him to live in luxury of a beautiful palace, Well, the Ark of God, remember that symbol of God's intimate presence that we looked at last week, that we saw that David brought to Jerusalem, well, that symbol was still in the tabernacle, which was just basically a tent. It didn't seem right to him. It didn't match with how highly he regarded God. And so his plan was to build a temple to the Lord. A magnificent building that would reflect the majesty and the glory of God. And this was a good plan. Nathan, he agreed with it. He said in verse 3, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. Now, at that moment, Nathan didn't fully understand God's will in this matter. But as a man of God... He recognised that David's desire to build a temple seemed right. And I think the prophet Haggai would have agreed too. Because years later, he challenged the Israelites who'd returned from exile, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while the house remains, this house remains a ruin? He was challenging them that they had their priorities wrong. 
Because they were looking after their own houses while God's house, the temple, was just lying in ruins. But David wasn't like that. His heart longed to honour God. And God himself recognised this. Uh, The Lord said later on in 1 Kings chapter 8, Because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. It was a good plan. It was a desire to honour God in his life. And God commended him for it. And God wants us to have similar kinds of desires in our lives too. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When we make plans or when we pray, our greatest desire should be to seek his rule and his reign in our lives. To honour him as Lord. It's those plans that please God. It's those plans that God will commend us for. But that doesn't mean that God will necessarily agree with them. Even if our dreams and even if our desires are good and honourable, they might not match up with God's will. God might still say No. That's what he said to David. That night, God told Nathan to tell David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? And the implied answer is, of course, no. It was a good desire that David had. But God didn't want David to do it. That was not God's will. And God always has the right to say no to us too. This is what the Apostle Paul experienced. He was tormented by what he called a a thorn in the flesh. And so he prayed three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But each time, God basically said, no. But even more amazingly, this is what Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prayed the same prayer three times. Father, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering, this cup from me. Everything within Jesus recoiled from the horror of the cross. And so in utter anguish, he pleaded with with his father for another way. But three times, God in a sense said, No. Now God doesn't say no to us, just kind of arbitrarily. He doesn't do it just to disappoint us, or just to frustrate us. God has a good reason for saying no. He had a good reason for Paul. He said that that God said no to him, God gave him that thorn in the flesh, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. To keep Paul grounded. And he had a good reason, of course, to say no to Jesus. Because the cross was the only way for us to be saved. Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. And God had a good reason to say no to David. 
He reminded David that for years he hadn't asked people to build him a permanent house. Because God was willing to humble himself and, and just move whenever his people did. He said in verse 6, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. God's focus was not an impressive building. Rather, it was to dwell with his people. That's what God was focused on. And of course, this is why Jesus came. It's an amazing verse in John chapter 1. It says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word became flesh. This could be translated, The Word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. Jesus humbled himself and stepped down into an earthly tent, his body, so that he could be our Emmanuel, so that he could be our God with us. And God's focus is still the same. Yeah, having a church building would be really neat and it would be really helpful and we've been praying for that for many years, as as many of you know. But God is not so focused on building a construction of stone or brick as he is on focused on building a community of people. A, a community of people who will dwell with him, who will trust in him, who will worship him, who will live for him, who will speak for him. Peter says this in, in, in his letter, 1 Peter 2, 5. You also like living stones, that's, that's the people, are being built into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's not really building buildings of, of stone or brick or wood. He's building a people who will belong to him. And so God often says no to us because his priorities are different from ours. He doesn't focus on the same things that we do. Isaiah 55 says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God's plan for David was higher and better than even of his own. So he reminded David of his grace in his life. Verse 8. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. God had taken David as just a, a shepherd boy and anointed him as king. And brought him through to this point of being able to be established as king in Jerusalem. But the amazing news was that God was not finished with giving good gifts to David. He promised to make his people, his name great and to provide a place of safety and security for his people. And then he said this, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house 
for you. This is the, the heart of what, what God was saying to him. Instead of David building a house, a temple for God, God was going to build a house, a family, a, a royal dynasty for David. One of David's sons would succeed him as king. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. That's what Solomon did. Who succeeded David is Solomon's son, is David's son Solomon. And Solomon built that magnificent temple in Jerusalem. But crucially, although God would discipline David's descendants for their sin and for their rebellion against him, God promised this. He said, my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul. David's descendants, as they became king year after year, would not suffer as Saul did. Would not suffer the loss that Saul did when God left Saul and Saul lost the throne. Instead, God promised this, verse 16, Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. David's family would never be rejected. His kingdom would never fall. It would be established forever. But what did that mean? What did that promise mean? Well, David's sons reigned in Jerusalem as king for the next 400 years or so. God protected that dynasty for hundreds of years. But after those 400 years, Nebuchadnezzar rose to the throne of Babylon and invaded and destroyed Jerusalem. Destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. David's sons no longer sat on the throne in Jerusalem. So what was God promising here? Well, God was not just promising 400 years of kings in, his, in David's family. He was promising something far greater. Because a thousand years later, an angel appeared to Mary. A young woman in Nazareth and declared that she would miraculously have a son. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So God didn't give David the privilege of building a temple for him. Instead, God gave him something far better. Not just a dynasty of kings that went down for hundreds of years. But he gave his very own son. God gave David Jesus. Jesus who would reign forever. And this is God's promise to us too. God doesn't promise us to give, to give us everything that we want. 
He doesn't promise to fulfill all of our dreams and all of our desires. But He does promise that His will is always good and pleasing and perfect. And so when God says no to us, it's because He's got something better for us. Now sometimes we can see what that is. Maybe a a year or two later we say, Ah God, that's what you were giving me. I understand now. And it's great when we can see that. Other times we just need to trust. Trust that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. We hold on in faith and saying, God, I can't see why this is better, but I'm trusting you for this. I'm trusting that you are working even in this huge disappointment, this huge struggle. But ultimately, we do know what this better plan is for us. Because God's better plan for us is ultimately His Son. It's ultimately Jesus. That's who God's ultimate gift is. He is what or who our hearts long for. He is the supreme fulfillment of all our hopes and dreams. As John said in his letter, He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So although we might struggle with disappointment now, and and who of us doesn't, one day we will see that God has given us something far, far greater. More than we could ever have asked or imagined. And David when he heard all of this from Nathan, it seems that he understood this. He got this. Because his response to the disappointment of God telling him, no, you can't build the temple, was not frustration, was not complaint, was not rebellion. Instead it was to go before the Lord and pray. Verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he prayed a remarkable prayer. Hopefully you can have a chance uh, maybe later on today to read it all in full. But let me just kind of highlight some parts of this prayer for you this morning. In this prayer, David submitted to God's sovereignty. Seven times he called God, O Sovereign Lord. And ten times he described himself as your servant. That's why David was willing to submit to God's will without complaining. He accepted the fact that God is God. And he was not. And in our lives we too need to have that same attitude. Our plans and our prayers may be good, but they may not be what God wants for us. And that can be incredibly frustrating for us. To us it seems clear what is best. It seems obvious what God should do. And maybe sometimes we want to tell God what he should do. But God is the right. He has the authority to say no to us. To refuse to do what we want. 
Because he's the Lord. He is God. And we are not. And so we need to be like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed praying his heart out for that cup to pass from him. Then when he prayed, yet not my will, but yours be done. If Jesus submitted to the will of his Father, how much more should we be willing to submit to our Heavenly Father's will? Then secondly, David also rejoiced in God's grace. Not just in bringing him this far, but also in guaranteeing his future. He said this in verse 18, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if that was not not, not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And we too need to do that. Rejoice that from the fullness of God's grace, we've all received one blessing after another. When God says no to us, we can so easily forget all that God has given us, can't we? And all that God has promised for us. We can just focus in on the thing that we don't have. And that can consume us. So we need to be continually reminded of how amazing God's grace is in our life. How that when we were sinners, God loved us and God chose us and God rescued us and God brought us into His family and adopted us as His children and gave us a guaranteed future of belonging to Him. That's why what we're going to do in in a minute or two in our time of communion is so important. When Jesus told us to take that bread and to take that cup as a symbol of his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, he told us to do this in remembrance of me. In the disappointments of life, we need that regular reminder of just how amazing God's grace is. How amazing what God has given us already and how amazing it is what God has promised for us. In the future. And thirdly, David delighted in God's greatness. As he thought back to how God had rescued his people and brought them to himself, he realized that God deserved all the glory and all the praise. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. David, he wanted to do something great for God. Build a great temple. But instead, he got a fresh understanding of the greatness of God. And that's where God always wants us to be. When we don't get what we want, when things don't turn out as we planned, When all we are left with is Jesus. That's when we realize more than ever before that Jesus is enough. That's what our new song says that that the worship team were singing this morning, isn't it? 
finish with these words. If he never did another thing for me, he is all I've ever, I'll ever need. How good is he? If all God gives to us is Jesus, then Jesus is more than enough. Then lastly, in his prayer, David depended on God's faithfulness. This is how he closed. Verse 28. Your words are trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless this house, the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessings, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. David was astonished with the promises that God had given him. They were beyond his wildest dreams. They were better than he'd ever planned for himself. But David believed them because he believed that God is trustworthy. That God does what he says he will do. And so his request here in this prayer, his, 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 his plea here, was simply like a, an Amen. Yes, Lord. Do what you have said. Keep your promise, O Lord. And this morning, that's the same for us. We too can overcome our disappointments, even the deepest of disappointments, by depending on God's faithfulness. Because if we've trusted in Jesus, God has promised us that He, that we have eternal life. Life to the full. That will never end. That He is with us and that no one and nothing can ever separate us from His love. That he is working through us to build his kingdom and draw people to himself. That one day we will be with Christ and we will reign with Christ. And that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Of course we can't see all that reality just now. It's much easier for us to see all the things that aren't right in our life. It's much easier for us to feel the pain of the disappointment and the struggle and the hurts that we've gone through. But even in those moments, we can trust that God will keep his promises. Because he who promised is faithful. And so today, today we say, Amen, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do what you have promised. Do what you have promised for us. Because your plan is amazing. So throughout our lives, folks, we will all face disappointments. Things won't turn out as we hoped or as we wanted. But if we have trusted in Jesus, then we can be sure that he will not be a disappointment. Although our plans might be good, God's promises are better. And so we can humbly pray 
and submit to God's sovereignty. Rejoice in God's grace. Delight in God's greatness. And depend on God's faithfulness.